been looking at the very basic core elements of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The first three chapters of Ephesians outline the very basics of Christianity, and the last three chapters talked about how we make application of those basic truths. And so today we come to chapter six. If you have your Bibles, you want to take those out. Also in your program this morning is an outline that you can follow along with if you like to take notes. And uh, we're calling today's message a crash course in spiritual conflict. Now, how many of you have one of these babies right here? All right, most of us. And sometimes that thing will ding, ding, and you're like, what is that? What's going on? And sometimes, I wonder if this ever happens to you. Have you ever kind of get a rush, a little rush of dopamine? Oh, what's going on there? Maybe it's uh, somebody good. Somebody's texting me, right? It could be a friend. It could be your spouse. It might be, how about your boss saying, hey, take the next two days off. Wouldn't that be great? The possibilities are endless. And then what happens? You look and oh, it's, it's junk. It's junk. And the smile slips from your face. You know that the average American gets about 15 spammy text messages every month, according to researchers. Scams, calls, texts, emails, all the rest. They're never ending. Does that happen on your phone? And you know why it happens? Because, you know what, it works. Scam calls alone lost Americans $19.7 billion in 2020. That's billion with a B. Now, if you're like me, perhaps you've just given up on answering. If you don't recognize the number, you don't answer it. You know, a recent survey from an anti-spam company says 94% of unknown calls go unanswered. That means the 6% that are answered are the people that are spending that $19 billion on who knows what. Well, I want you to think about this, friends. Satan is unrelenting in sending temptation our way. He never stops. He never takes a day off. And while we can't prevent it, we can refuse to answer his call so that we will not give the devil an opportunity. Well, this final passage in our Ephesians series reminds us that the spiritual conflict in the Christian life is a reality that cannot be ignored. And so here's our big idea for today. And let's, uh, let's read this together, the big idea. Spiritual conflict is expected in the Christian life, but through Christ we have access to victory through God's character, the armor of God, and his power, prayer. And so our victory comes through Christ, who clothes us in the armor and equips us with the power of prayer for living and for ministry. So do you believe in the devil? Do you realize that not everybody does? Many who believe in God don't believe in the devil at all. You know, sometimes people will say something like, oh, the devil made me do it. And you know, they, they often mean the exact opposite. The devil didn't make them do it, something else happened. When somebody says, oh, oh, you devil, it's kind of a compliment, right? <laughs> or if somebody brings Satan or the devil into a, a polite discussion, perhaps the response is likely to be, you're not serious, are you? Do you believe in the devil? You know, we live in a scientific age and we have these medieval visions of the devil dressed in, you know, with the red horns and carrying the pitchfork and that's cute, you know, and cartoonish and, and you know, just kind of very, very old-fashioned, right? 
Science and psychology have relegated Satan to the pages of ancient mythology. Or, popular today as a character in various modern dramas designed to entertain us. And you know, in fact, Satan's greatest triumph might just be in causing people not to take him seriously. You see, if people don't believe you exist, then they won't try to stop you. I think that might be one cause of the church's weakness today. We fail to take the devil seriously. And as a result, we seldom hear Satan talked about or preached about. We are somehow ignorant of his strategy, his power, his vast army, and his infernal plans for us. But I want you to know that the Bible has a lot to say about Satan. He appears the first time in Genesis chapter 3 at the beginning of your Bible, and his last appearance is in Revelation 20 all the way at the end. Among his many titles, he's called Satan, the devil, serpent, the deceiver, the evil one, and the accuser of the brethren, bringing accusation against God's chosen. Every New Testament writer mentions him. Jesus encountered him at the beginning and at the end of his ministry, and Jesus often spoke about him. There's much we don't know, but this much we can be certain of. The devil is a real being. We live on a rebel planet controlled by Satan himself. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have been thrown into a spiritual conflict that rages all around us. And in that conflict, every believer is on the front lines. Friends, Satan attacks us when we least expect it. Rarely does he approach us with an overt invitation to evil. After all, if the, if the devil showed up wearing a name tag and said, Hey, my name is Satan, hello. Well, we'd recognize him immediately. Or if he said, I, I've come to destroy every good thing in your life. I plan to destroy your family, your marriage, your reputation, your integrity, and everything good in your life. And when I'm finished, you'll be in hell forever. Well, if he came and said that to us, we'd say, get lost, buddy. I don't want anything to do with that. But you see, it doesn't happen that way. Therefore, we must be prepared. I want you to join me in reading the first part of our scripture text today, verses 10 and 11 from Ephesians chapter 6. Let's read this together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Amen. The word of God. And so our advanced preparation is necessary because, you see, Satan doesn't fight fair. His number one tool in the life of the believer is discouragement. He's already won if he can get us to drop our weapons and walk off the battlefield. That's why he attacks us on a thousand different fronts. He doesn't fight fair. He's not going to give us an even break. He's a liar. He's a deceiver, a diabolical angel of light who comes in a thousand different guises, tempting us to disobey the Lord. And he's a lot smarter than we are at times. He knows our weak points, sometimes better than we do. And because he's invisible, he can attack any time of day or night. 
Let's just ponder these solemn words from verse 12 as we read them together. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, our battle is not against other people. You realize that's, that's often what we, we think we're doing. We're battling against evil people, abortionists, pornographers, godless politicians, corrupt business leaders, drug dealers, greedy wealth hoarders, as if they were all the source of our problems. And yet, many of these people are unwitting dupes of powerful spiritual forces that they likely know nothing about. Or, when someone has hurt us deeply, it's very easy to say, that person is the source of all my problems. But friends, our struggle is not with flesh and blood, even though it may seem that way to us at times. We are fighting a spiritual battle against the devil and his demons. And so what are some of the marks of his diabolical work? Here are just a few examples on the screen. I'm not going to read them all, but here, here's some that you might think about. Unusual or repeated temptations. You feel those coming up? That's Satan working in our life. Temptations to sin in areas that never troubled us before. Guess what? That could be Satan worming his way into your life. Prolonged bouts of discouragement. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Discouragement comes from Satan. Worries that seem to consume us. It's not that we don't worry, friends, but when worry consumes us, that is a tool of the evil one. Bitterness towards others. When we hold on to the hurts and the hardships of the past and they weigh us down, that is a valuable tool in Satan's arsenal seeking to drag us back where we don't belong. Excuses for lack of spiritual growth. You don't ever make excuses, do you? I know I don't. Oh, I am not growing because of this or that. And we make excuses when in reality it is a spiritual battle. And we're not getting into the battle like we should. Critical comments about other believers. If you find yourself welling up with critical comments about God's children, that's where Satan wants you to be. He wants you to focus on the things that divide us rather than the truths that bring us together or attempts to hide your behavior from others. If you feel that you've got to hide something, that's a good clue that it's Satan worming his way into your life yet again, seeking to push you away from people that have your best interest in mind. So those are just a few of the marks of Satan's diabolical work in our life. And so when we face these temptations, we can be sure that Satan has us in his crosshairs. That's exactly, exactly the moment that we need to put on the whole armor of God. That command to put on is a military term. I want you to think of it like this. It's the last step you take before going into battle. It's like cleaning your rifle, checking your ammo, putting on your flak jacket, and grabbing your helmet. You're ready for battle. Take up your armor, Christian, because all hell is soon about to break out against you. And so as we 
prepare now to get into verses 14 through 17, we see that they tell us just how we can do this, how we can fight back against the devil. So let's read this next passage together. Verses 14 through 17. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Amen. The word of God. And so, as we think about this passage, Paul paints a picture for us of the Christian in complete armor. And this is not just a a quaint little picture for us to think about and look at, but Paul is talking about how we prepare ourselves to enter into this spiritual battle that is raging all about us. How are we ready to go into battle? And so in this passage, he describes six parts of the first century Roman soldier's uniform. And I want you to notice that he lists them in the exact order that a soldier would put them on as he prepared to go into battle. Each piece of the armor describing a spiritual trait that the believer needs to have to survive the attacks of our opponent, Satan. So with our remaining time, I want to spend some time considering each one of these vital spiritual traits represented by a piece of armor. And the first one that we come to is the belt of truth. The belt held the soldier's uniform in place. Without the belt, he could not move about quickly. And if he could not move, he could not fight. And so the belt of truth refers to the truth of God that has been revealed in his word. Friends, when we are discouraged, when we are under attack, we must go back. Go back to the things we know to be true. We need to go back to what theologians like to call the first principles. The first principles. I want to share some of the first principles with you. And these are the things that we need to continually go back to as we cinch on the belt of truth. Remind ourselves of these great First principle truths that come from God. God is holy. God is holy. God is righteous. God is perfect. All his ways are right. His mercy endures forever. These are first principles. Some more. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are kept by his love. The Holy Spirit has sealed us. We talked about that earlier in Ephesians. The Lord Jesus died and rose again. And now he intercedes for us continually in heaven. These are first principle truths that we must hold on to. All things are working together for our good. Do you believe that? If you are a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, then all things are working together for our good. doesn't say that all things are good. Believe me, I know that, and you know that in your life. Not not all things are good. There's a lot of bad things. But in the midst of all things, God is working for good, for his purposes in our life. And we can believe that. That is a first principle truth. So, as you prepare for battle, go back 
to what you know to be true. And these first principle truths right out of Scripture are truths that we can hold on to because we know them to be true. And so when I say that we must go back, I mean that literally. In those moments of temptation, when we ought to recall and perhaps even speak out loud the things that we know to be true, how do we do that? Well, we can quote Scripture. That's always a valuable thing. Spend time in God's word. Here, here's another practical way that you can do that. I find it helpful at times to sing out loud great hymns of faith or Christian songs that, that build my faith. And so perhaps when you're feeling discouraged or you don't know what to do, you might just sit down in your chair and sing, Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. In Christ alone, a mighty fortress is our God. Sing those songs. Allow those words to minister to you because those are words of truth as we put on the belt of truth. You know, it could be something as simple as Jesus loves me or a grand hymn like how deep the Father's love. But dwell on those truths and allow those truths to penetrate your life, particularly as you prepare for battle. You see, it's our job to put on the armor by reminding ourselves of what we already know to be true. Therefore, we put on the belt of truth. Well, the second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. And the breastplate covered the vital organs of the chest, especially the heart. It was sort of like an ancient bulletproof vest. The righteousness that Paul has in mind here comes to us by virtue of our right standing with God. That's what righteousness means. It means that we are in right standing with God, in a right relationship with him. And since God declares us righteous when we come to him through Christ, we now can believe that we are righteous. And therefore, we can pursue righteousness in the choices we make and the thoughts that we dwell on. Nothing gives us more courage than knowing we are right with God. To know that truth is so valuable. You know, in, in Texas, they have an elite law enforcement group. You know, they're called the Texas Rangers. You've heard of them. And they have a, a number of sayings, but one of their sayings goes like this. You can't stop a man in the right who just keeps on coming. I like that. You can't stop a man in the right who just keeps on coming. You see, when we are conscious of wrongdoing, what happens? Our guilt makes us cowards. But the Christ follower who knows that they are right, they can face a multitude of fear without without fear. They can face a multitude of issues and problems in their life without fear. I love how Proverbs 28 describes this person. Uh, the proverb writer wrote this, The wicked man flees, though no one pursues. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. Think about that. Do you want to be as bold as a lion? Remind yourselves, if you're in Christ, that you are righteous. That you have a right standing with God. You see, when we compromise, morally or spiritually, it's like that soldier standing uncovered, before the enemy, without his, his bulletproof vest on, without his, without his breastplate on, wide open, ready for that spear to penetrate. The choices that we make 
each day either fortify us against Satan or they make us easy prey for him. Which will we choose? Put on the breastplate of righteousness. The third piece of armor we're calling the shoes of gospel peace. A soldier has to have good shoes so that he can fight without slipping. The Roman soldiers, they had a technology that a lot of other armies of the day didn't have. They had sandals with spikes driven through the soles so that they had traction on the surfaces so that they could stand firm. You see, you can't fight very well if your feet are slipping out from under you. When Paul speaks of the gospel of peace, he means that the gospel itself is the only true source of peace. Friends, if we're looking for peace in anything else, we're not going to find it until we first know Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Only then can we discover peace. Because of Jesus Christ, we now have peace with God and we have the peace of God. Do you get that? We have peace with God and we have the peace of God. You know, we live in some pretty strange times. We've just come through the last couple of years of a, of a worldwide pandemic and, you know, schools were closed, churches went online and we learned about social distancing and sheltering in place and all that other stuff. We had to flatten the curve, remember that term, and, and the whole world shut down within a matter of a week or so. That had never happened before. Certainly not in our lifetime. And it was a time of fear, a time of uncertainty, a time of anxiety, certainly not a time of peace. You know, the Lord has a word for times like that. You know, two days before his crucifixion, he knew what was about to happen. Two days before that, he met with his disciples, his guys, to prepare them for what was to come. And in the shadow of the great temple, he told them what it would be like after he was gone. And in that message in Luke chapter 21, he includes these famous words. Jesus said, when you hear about wars and riots, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I like how the Living Bible puts it. This paraphrase. When you hear of wars and insurrections beginning, don't panic. Don't panic. Now those are either the words of a madman or they are the words of the Son of God. You see, friends, the good news of peace means we must not panic. Don't panic. You see, if we panic, it means we have forgotten. We've forgotten who runs the universe. You know, God's people, Christians, ought to be the calmest people on earth because we know the Lord and we know that he holds the future in his hands. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you understand that deeply in your life? There is no panic. Do you understand this? There's no panic in heaven. No matter what happens in this world, there's no panic in heaven because God's in charge the end has already been determined, and we are a part of that. The devil will do all that he can to distract us from that truth. He will distract us with fear, with discouragement, with stress, with anxiety. But God gave us the shoes that we need to stand firm in the heat of battle. 
the gospel of peace. And so, friends, when fear threatens to overwhelm you, do not panic. Do not panic. Put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Well, there's a fourth piece of armor, and that is the shield of faith. The shield of faith describes what what I want to call dependent living. Dependent living. It means calling on the Lord for help in times of trouble. Dependent living is the opposite of doing it your own way. All right? By the way, what's the American way? Do it your own way. Figure it out for yourself. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You can be all that you want to be in the U.S. Army. Isn't that how they said it? Uh, It's that idea of a self-made person. No, we must be people that are dependent on God. And that is where the shield of faith comes in. Because what are these fiery darts? The fiery darts that the devil launches against us. Well, the phrase suggests a sudden and unexpected attack. Now, the Roman soldiers, they knew about the fiery darts. That was part of the arsenal, their own own war and their enemies as well. They would be uh, outside the city. And how did they get in through those walls? Well, they didn't. Instead, they would shoot their fire arrows up over and down into the rooftops, setting fire to the city. The people would flee in panic, and the soldiers would have their way. That's what Satan wants to do in our life. He's shooting those fiery darts, and they're unexpected. And it might begin small, but it becomes overwhelming to us. I see heads nodding because I know you understand this. You know what it means to feel overwhelmed by the hardships of life. The fiery darts keep coming. They come from anywhere at any time in any situation. And that's what makes this so tricky. And it's why, friends, that we must take up the shield of faith proactively. Proactively. That means we've got our shield before the darts start flying. Because guess what? The darts are coming. I can guarantee that. We've all experienced this sort of thing. When the day begins, you feel strong and confident. You're kind of sailing along, checking things off your list, and then suddenly what happens? Satan hits us with a fiery dart, and our mind begins to slide in the wrong direction. The temptation might be to anger, to lust, to bitterness, to greed, to doubt, to despair. You fill in the blank. Any of a hundred negative emotions, and we feel overwhelmed. We might be sailing along when something happens, an unkind word, an unplanned interruption, a difficult person intrudes into our peace, a subtle seduction rears its head, a careless comment comes our way, a crass invitation, whatever it might be. The devil's darts come in a thousand different varieties and they catch us off guard and they throw us off balance. One writer, commentator, put it this way. He called it a violent temptation in which the soul is set on fire of hell. That's how quick it comes. And so husbands may fight with their wives about the smallest troubles. Parents may blow up at their kids over the slightest issue. There might be suddenly a strong desire toward immorality that we thought we'd put behind us. Or an appeal to festering anger that we've been holding on to too long or a reminder of hidden unforgiveness in our life that rears its ugly head. The fiery darts hit. It could be envy. 
that eats away like acid in our life, or fear that saps our strength. Fiery darts are coming. And the solution is to have the shield ready. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. That's where the battle has to be waged, friends. These sudden attacks cannot be accounted for by any other means except the fiery darts of the enemy of our souls. And they stick like burning arrows on the inside of our life. And so what do we do in the moment of attack? We must then and there, in that very moment, call on God for help. We have to cry out, Lord, I can't handle this. I can't handle this. Help me. Your prayer could be simply that. You see, that is dependent living. Understanding you can't make it by yourself. And if somebody told you that, they lied to you. We must be dependent on God. We have to not be afraid to go to God again and again and again because the fiery darts are flying. And when Satan hits us with that dart, we in turn can send up, we'll just call it an arrow of prayer to God in that moment. Author F.B. Meyer writes that when he feels himself getting angry or irritable or any other fiery dart comes his way, he asks the Lord for the quality most needed at that very moment. So he writes, your patience, Lord Jesus. That's an arrow of prayer. Your kindness, Lord Jesus. Your love, Lord Jesus. Your courage, Lord Jesus. Your wisdom, Lord Jesus. Your joy, Lord Jesus. Bring it to me right now. Your purity, Lord Jesus. Help me to hold on to it. Those arrow prayers go straight from our heart to God's heart. And friends, they work. They work. Pick up the shield of faith. And with it, you can snuff out the devil's fiery darts. Number five is the helmet of salvation. The helmet protects the soldier's head. Woe to the soldier who goes into battle without his helmet. He won't last long when the enemy begins firing from the other side. The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation describes our security in Christ. We can know that we have eternal life when we are in Jesus Christ. Because we have been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ, we belong to him. We belong to him past, present, and future. Do you believe that? That's why it says in Romans 8, 38, and 39 that nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We belong to him when we give him our allegiance. And when we do that, we put on the helmet of salvation. Now, we don't need to downplay the danger we face every day because it's there in our warfare against Satan. He can attack us from any direction or more than one direction at once. But here's the good news. We can survive if we know that we are the children of God. We understand our helmet of salvation is on. We put on the helmet of salvation so we can boldly declare we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. More than conquerors. That means winners. We are superior to Satan. Do you understand that? 
Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. If God's Holy Spirit resides in us, we are more powerful than Satan because God's Holy Spirit is within us. We have true security when we live out our salvation in Christ by putting on the helmet of salvation. And then finally, the sword. The sword of the Spirit. The Bible tells us to take up the sword of the Spirit, which describes the Word of God. The Word of God is the only weapon that the soldier of Christ carries. All the rest of the armor is defensive, but the sword is a weapon. All the other armor protects during attack. The Word of God, though, cuts like a double-edged sword, doesn't it? Laying everything bare so that nothing is hidden. You can read about that in Hebrews chapter 4. That's why when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, you understand? Scripture tells us he was tempted in every way we are. Jesus experienced every temptation that you've experienced. And yet he came out on the other side unscathed. How did he do that? As a man, God in the flesh. He did that because he had the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, readily available. Do you remember when he was tempted in the wilderness? Satan came to him three different times. And how did he respond? He responded to the devil by continuously quoting Scripture. You see, nothing defeats the devil like the Word of God. Our clever arguments mean nothing to him. Our self-sophistication, our spiritual sophistication... The books we read, none of that matters. None of that will stand against Satan. But will, what will stand against him and what will put us on the offense is when we take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You see, Satan can brush aside our self-confidence because our reputation means nothing to him. But when we stand on the Word, we strike a decisive blow that he cannot answer. Jesus is our example in that. The believer who arms himself with the sword will never lack for a weapon in battle. We won't have to be searching around, where's my weapon? Where is it? It's right here. It is the word of God. It answers all of our doubts. It helps us to overcome all of our discouragements. It heals us from our hurts. It gives us hope for the future. This is all we have, and friends, this is all we need. The church, God's people together, marches triumphantly as the army of God when it relies upon the word of God. This is why when we gather in the assembly time, we spend a large amount of our time in the word of God. Because this is our weapon, our sword. And we remind ourselves of these truths. Often the things that I stand up and teach you about and remind you about are not new things to you. There's nothing new in here. This is the same word of God, the New Testament that's been with us for 2,000 years. The same truths. There are no new truths. Only truths that we need to be reminded of so that we can stand on them and march triumphantly together with Jesus. Well, Having explained the armor of God, Paul adds this last command in verse 18. Let's read this together. Verse 18. And 
pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Amen. So we've put on our armor. Great. What do we do? Pray. That's awful simplistic, isn't it? Simplistic. We pray. We pray. This is, if we had the school of Christian living, this would be prayer 101. Basics, right? Prayer is our ultimate weapon in spiritual warfare. It is not part of the armor. It is that which makes the armor effective. We put on the armor and we pray. And friends, there are a multitude of ways to prayer. And they're all valid. We can stand, we can sit, we can kneel when we pray. We can pray with our eyes open, our eyes closed. We can pray out loud. Other times we'll pray silently. Our prayers might be filled with praise and thanksgiving or crying out in petition and intercession. Sometimes we can recite scripture or a prayer from scripture like the Lord's Prayer. In times of trouble, we can pour out our heart to the Lord. In times of great stress, we might simply just cry out, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And sometimes... Sometimes our prayers will be nothing more than an unspoken groan. We can't even put words to it. But God knows. His spirit in us knows. The best time to pray is when you feel the need to pray. That's why Paul instructs us to pray on when? All occasions. All occasions. It speaks of coming to a crossroads of life, a time of need with a sense of our own weakness and crying out to the Lord in prayer. Maybe sometimes you'll think something like, oh, I should pray about that. Don't ever brush that thought away. Do it. If you're thinking, I should pray about that, pray about it. Go ahead and pray right then. Sometimes people might say, oh, I wish we could pray about that. Pray about it. Don't wait. Just do it. If you think about praying, go ahead and pray. You don't have to pray out loud. You can pray to the Lord without speaking any words at all, and the Lord will hear you. So when you feel that nudge in the Spirit, don't say no. Don't push it to the side. Go ahead and pray. Prayer is the Christian's secret weapon. It's the weapon that makes the armor of God effective. And so when we put this all together, friends, we have a picture of the Christian soldier fully armed for combat, putting on the whole armor of God. That means living truthfully and righteously and peacefully and dependently and confidently and biblically and prayerfully. You see, our greatest problems are spiritual but Satan tricks us. He, thinks our prob- he gets us to think that our problems are financial or emotional or intellectual or if other people would just do this, our problems would go away. But our f- problems, friends, are spiritual. Our real enemies are unseen because the real battle- battlefield lies within our heart. And that's why a change of scenery or a change of a job, or a change of circumstances, or a change of lifestyle, or a change of an appearance, or a change of our spouse, or a change in our relationship, or whatever else we do, often accomplishes little or nothing. We're the same people because we face the same enemy, and we fight the same battles. 
You can move anywhere. Move to Miami or to Beijing, to Wichita or London. But nothing's going to change unless we change on the inside. Our one hope, our only hope, is to put on the full armor of God and so then prove what the Bible says is true. So don't be surprised by sudden attacks, discouraging events, personal disappointments. They're coming. We call it spiritual warfare for a reason. We will all have our share of victories, and we will all experience defeat. But friends, know this. God measures our spiritual progress not by huge battles won or lost. He's already taken care of that. But he measures our progress by a thousand daily skirmishes that often no one else knows about. Now we can understand verse 13 in a new light. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done so, to stand firm. I love that last phrase, having done all to stand firm. In my mind, I picture a soldier standing in the middle of a battlefield after the conflict has ended. It's been a long, hard, brutal fight with many casualties, many wounded, many fallen. And this soldier stands in the midst of all of that and he surveys the battlefield. His uniform is soaked with sweat and dirt and blood. His eyes are, are red-rimmed with exhaustion. He hears the cries of the wounded. He doesn't smile because he knows that the enemy will attack again tomorrow. But tonight, tonight he will rest well knowing that he was still standing when the battle ended. Friends, we are in the army now. No one said being a Christian is easy. Any representation to the contrary is false and dangerous. If you have people in your life, perhaps even well-meaning spiritual people, spiritual teachers who are telling you that you ought not to suffer, that life ought to be smooth and easy. That is a lie from the evil one. You see, when we signed up for Team Jesus, we put on a new uniform. And we're in the army now. And we need to be ready. So my final word to you is this. Paul tells us to put on the whole armor of God. And I want you to really get this. It is God's armor, not ours. It's not ours. He doesn't say, put on your own armor, because guess what? That's a good way to get clobbered in the head. Our own armor is ineffective. It's weak. It's not designed for the battle that we're in. We need to put on God's armor. Everything we need, we already have in Christ Jesus. He is our armor. I want to close with these great words from Martin Luther in his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It is a great hymn of battle. And in one of the verses, let me read the words. He says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. 
his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. You see, friends, we're not alone on the battlefield. We still have to fight the enemy, but God provides the armor. He gives us what we need when we need it, and the devil cannot defeat us when we put on the armor of God. One little word shall fell him. Jesus, Jesus, there's just something about that name. Stand and fight. Stand and fight, child of God, because the Lord is on your side. Let's pray together.